I would say one of the great parts about Reach is the people you see that are continuing to get into the game. They're serving, they're inviting people to come to church, they're being a part of really reaching out, which is really what we're about here. For us, we're seeing a huge impact through the Reach campaign because we have a demographic in our in our uh, um, right around our campus that has uh, not been reached, and that's the second generation Hispanic community in the community of Highwood. And right now, they have um, they don't have a Protestant church in their community, and we've ha- we have an opportunity to provide a fellowship and a. a, a community of grace, hope, and love in the midst of that community of Highwood. I had a real sense that we could be doing more uh, to engage with Trinity Seminary students. And with this REACH campaign, we've been able to develop a brand new internship program that does just that. We've hired two brand new interns that we're really excited about, and we're excited about ramping that up to, to get even more. So at Crossroads, you know, it was interesting as we're being challenged to serve the community more. Uh, we had a few folks from our church and even on our staff that were just uh, interested in using the property at our campus to provide raised garden beds. And, you know, last summer for the first time, we donated produce weekly uh, to a church in North Chicago that, that distributes this fresh produce to people in the community that would not have access to fresh produce otherwise. So I think one of the things that REACH is doing is, is, is just raising all of our awareness that we are a people that takes the presence of God out into the community and, and transforms the community that's around us. You know, we showed a video about Matthew Houses, which, you know, communications, everything. And we had somebody afterwards ask, you know, how maybe could I be a person who is a part of this Matthew House project? Actually, to go through the process to own a home in North Chicago and be a light uh, there in that community. With over 350,000 people in our area that don't have a church home, there is so much more work to do. Well, good morning. Welcome to those joining us at the 01 Crossroads in Highland Park. And yes, uh, my name is Mike, and I'm on staff here. Been away for... Since about 11.30 on Christmas Eve, when the uh, 10 o'clock Christmas Eve service ended, I had a 62-day sabbatical. It was great. It's a gift. Thank you. And, uh, and I'm now back. And people you saw in the video, so Brad Coleman, or those providing leadership at various services and campuses, so Brad Coleman is at the Highland Park campus. Uh, Siler Thomas is a student ministries pastor. He also provides leadership at the 01 Aaron Kramer is at um, uh, the, Highland, the Crossroads campus. And then Paul Fowler, who is the director of finances, also provides leadership uh, venue pastor for our Saturday night service. Not in that video is Ben Torres, who is spearheading the efforts to start a service reaching, targeting everyone, but particularly second-generation Hispanics in Highwood. And then uh, Ben Dockery, uh, who is the campus pastor at the Lake Forest campus. Um, so, yes, we're at halftime at REACH, and uh, a year ago we said we want to double down on our mission, we want to REACH people, we want to fuel a movement that's going to REACH people and renew communities. And under that first category, REACHing people, we said we want to help start, catapult, launch 10 new services of grace, hope, and love. Uh, and we want six of these to be overseas through our global missions partners. We have three of them up or about to be up. So we have a picture. Here's a picture of the work going on in Ghana. So we've been working in Ghana for a long time and in a village. 
And, uh, and this uh, is now in towards Accra, the capital city. There's been a church that's been meeting under a tree, and we've come alongside providing uh, some support for uh, them to get a pastor, building a building. We started the building and had to expand it because the number of people showing up is greater than we were going to build for. So we're excited about that. And then here's a picture of uh, me with Solomon, who is the church planner. I'm the one who didn't shave, and yes, my beard looks like it's going to be completely white, so I could do Santa in the future. But Solomon is going to be the church planner for our work in um, in Chennai. So Chennai is a city in Chennai is a city in India that has twice the population of Chicago, and it's one of the big tech centers. And so we're building a church right off of the tech corridor. All these. When you get a call, when you call tech support and you get somebody in India, they are going to be right next to the church that we are planting. Uh, there, is, there are uh, a million people in one square mile, and we are just off the main road there trying to get a church started among IT workers in Chennai. And then we're doing some stuff that will come online later on in Istanbul among Muslim refugees. So that's one part of the reaching people, the evangelism, the others we wanted to see People baptized. We're counting baptisms. We want to get 500 baptisms during this campaign. We hope to today at the service to go past 200. Uh, and so what we really want to see is people come to faith. What we're counting is baptisms. It's easier to count. And on the other side of this equation, reach people and renew communities. The renew communities, we said we want 100,000 service hours outside the walls of the church. Right? So there's, there's more than 100,000 service hours during that time inside the church, between small group leaders and Sunday school teachers and ushers and greeters and musicians and everyone else. But we wanted this to be 100,000 outside the walls of the church. So this is through, uh, this is through things such as Love, Inc. and PADS and, and the Justice Center and the Cars Ministry and North Chicago Community Partners and all of those things. So we're, we're past the halfway point already there. Uh, we also started Renew Communities as a, as a Christ Church-owned 501c3 working primarily in North Chicago, so the housing programs, the Matthew homes. So what you were seeing in the video was, was a new construction. We're doing one new construction and sort of piloting that. But we bought about 10 um, homes. We buy them for twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, then go in with volunteer labor and put in another twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, rehab them, and we sell them to people. We finance them creatively, maybe a no-interest loan, maybe we help them with their down payment. We're doing what we need to do to help people who want to be missional in North Chicago. We're going to love and serve their neighbors, help push back the night. So we've got that going on. And then the other big initiative uh, through Renew Communities is job creation. And so there's about five different efforts going on there. So um, many of you are involved with, with the REACH campaign. Thank you. We want to keep our foot on the gas pedal. I realize... Not everybody is coming off of a sabbatical, so maybe you're a little tired, uh, but Paul says, do not grow weary of doing good. Uh, we want to not grow weary of doing good. So, so the passage that I want us to look at today is um, in Mark's gospel, the first chapter, verse 15, and Jesus is speaking. It's the first time he speaks in Mark's gospel. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So, let me back up and get a running start on this. 
I've been on sabbatical for two months. And uh, two kinds of sabbaticals generally. Uh, most pastors take sabbaticals to sort of recharge because uh, they're weary. The job has a high burnout rate. And so most pastors need to relax and recoup. And um, we've got a great staff here. I was not exhausted. I was a little tired, but not exhausted. And so I didn't want that kind of sabbatical. I wanted more of the kind of sabbatical a professor gets where you can go do a project, research something, see something, write a book, whatever. And uh, so that was my sabbatical. And I had three big goals. I had a handful, too many, of smaller goals, but I had three big goals. One of them was that um, I, I wanted to travel and see some things. So I was uh, uh, around. I was at a science foundation out in Portland. I was, uh, 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 Sherry and I were in Florida for a little bit. Uh, I went to Colorado to a retreat. I was in Oxford at a theological library there. And then I was briefly in India looking at our church plant. Um, and that was great. And then one of the other big goals was I wanted uh, deeper unhurried times with the Lord every day. So I wanted, I wanted to sort of uh, have a, a time in the morning that I felt no stress to end. And uh, I, I, wanted, I wanted a deeper walk with Christ. So about uh, two years ago, I came to the realization that who I was was, was, was going to matter more than what I did. And I came to this realization. I'd heard this before, but it didn't really resonate with me. But I came to this takeaway when I realized that um, I saw things at the church that I didn't like. But they were the same things I didn't like about myself. So I've been here for 20 years, and so leaders start to shape organizations, and, and I looked and said, okay, yes, Christ Church in some ways is, Christ Church and I are alike in some ways, some ways good, in some ways not so good, and, and uh, I looked and I said, yeah, uh, some of the things that I don't like um, are the very same things that I don't like in myself. So let me be a little more specific. Some of the things I don't like in you. Some of the ways that I think, yeah, that's not exactly who we're called to be, right? I thought, except the problem is I don't think I can fix this because it's my own issue as well. And uh, I would far rather try and fix you than try and fix me, just for the record. But I thought, yeah, it's probably not the way forward. And so um, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to work on this. And, and what emerged was I needed, uh, I needed to believe the gospel more completely. So I don't think many of us see ourselves very accurately. And we don't see ourselves very accurately because uh, we're so defensive. We're so self-defensive. There's so much rationalization and justification. And part of that is because we sort of feel like we've got to be good. And, and until you can get the gospel down deep in your heart that says, actually, uh, I'm not good. <laughs> and God loves me anyway. 
right? God knows the worst about me, and he loves me anyway, because it's not about me, it's about him. And I not only can say that, but I actually can rest in that. So um, two psalms that were particularly helpful to me, Psalm 62, 1. Truly my soul finds rest in God, my salvation comes from him. So the word rest, truly my soul finds rest in God alone. And the word rest there means silence or stillness. And so part of my goal in the morning was that I wanted to, to, I wanted to be in God's presence until my chattering soul stopped chattering, right? Until there was just a sense of, of okay, I, the, the noise has stopped. And I'd have a sheet of paper. I just spent more time in silence. I'd have a sheet of paper. I'd write down the, the little ideas like a popcorn popper and just try to set them aside. And so the, my soul is at rest. The other one was Psalm 143.8. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. So um, I've got that written out and sort of you know, tacked to the wall in front of my desk. And, and this idea, uh, let, my, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. To me, that's, that's, that's the gospel. Let the morning bring me the gospel. Let me, let me know that I am loved, right? So I don't have to perform. I don't have to earn. I don't have to, I, I, I'm, I'm freed from that. So, um, so I, I, I was trying to spend extended time there and, and I did. And, and that was also sort of the launching pad for the, the big thing that I was doing, which was to try and write a book. And the book I set out to write initially was a book for a very specific kind of person, um, someone who has come to faith as an adult and lives in, the, in the, the, the communities north of Chicago, which generally means uh, a lot of education. But, you know, I sort of joke, graduate-level understanding of finance, law, business, medicine, whatever. But usually like a third or fourth grade understanding of their own heart and of Jesus. And so I wanted to write something. I set out to write six letters to that person. And about three hours into my sabbatical, I realized six letters wasn't going to be enough. It was going to need to be more like 40. And, uh, and it changed, and I thought, this isn't actually just for a new believer either. This is sort of the foundational idea. So it's not an apologetic book. Most of what I've tried to do in the past is trying to persuade people to put their faith in Jesus. This is saying, okay, if you believe in Jesus, right, you've, you've, you've made that decision. You believe in Jesus. Okay, um, you're free to believe or not to believe. But if, you're, if you say you're going to be a Christ follower... Okay, then you give up your rights to change the plan. <laughs> because he is God and Lord, and he's the one that tells us how this is going to play out. This is what we believe, sort of the mainstream Apostles' Creed. Kind of, this is the faith, this is what we affirm, and this is what we do. So uh, I didn't get it done, but I, I worked on that, and, uh, and that was the big project. And about two weeks ago, I thought... Uh, I'm running out of time, right? I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. And so I thought, I, I, I need to get at least everything, all 40 of these things, th- 
through a rough draft stage and start to move towards the first draft stage. And so I'm looking at what it is that I've got left to do to do that. And I realize that I've done almost nothing on what I call days four and five. So it's, this is a 40-day kind of thing. So day one is uh, the importance of foundations. So Luke, uh, Jesus talks about the fact that we've got to build our house on solid rock, not on sand that can shift. Psalm 1 is, you know, all about foundations and roots. You're putting your roots down into, into water, into, into good soil so that you can thrive. So it was about foundations. Day two is, is I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not trying to persuade you to be a Christian. I just want to be sure we agree on what a Christian is. And then day three is, this is the gospel. Day four was, this is the plan. This is God's plan. This is what, is, this is what God is doing. And then day five was, this is our piece of this. And I had a little eureka moment to say, oh, this actually works. Because I'm two weeks out. I think I've got to start working on sermons for uh, when I go back. I thought, this works. Because to talk about reach at halftime is to talk about what is the plan? <laughs> like, what is the big idea? And so um, Mark chapter 1, verse 15 is, is, a, is a key passage. So Matthew, Mark, Luke are synoptic gospels. They're very similar in their orientation. John, quite different. But uh, one of the things that's most unique about Mark is that it's just sort of an action gospel. It gets right to the point. So Matthew opens with a genealogy, and Luke opens with a whole lot of stuff about John the Baptist, and then Jesus is a little kid, and then Jesus, you know, later on. And uh, Mark just opens with Jesus as an adult, and the very first thing we hear him say, the very first time he comes along, we've got Jesus saying, look, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're into it. And, uh, and, and uh, this, is, this kingdom of God is what Jesus talks about all the time. There's two topics, really, that Jesus talks about. One is himself, and the other is the kingdom of God. He doesn't talk about healing, he just heals. He doesn't talk about the resurrection, he just rises, right? But he talks about himself, which is always interesting because people say, I don't believe Jesus is God, but I think he's a great teacher. And you go, oh, well, that's interesting. And what do you think he taught about? (laughs) You think he taught about being nice. Yeah, not really. Uh, There is a little bit of that, but he spent a lot of time saying, I am God, I'm a creator, I'm I'm the judge of everyone, everywhere, you know, I'm in charge. And then he talks about the fact that he's king and there is this coming kingdom. So Mark opens with it, Luke chapter 4, like one of the first times we hear Jesus teaching, he goes back to Nazareth, he goes into the synagogue there in his hometown, and he reads out of Isaiah uh, and it's about the kingdom. It's written 600 years previous, and he's looking forward. And then you know, he sits down and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your presence because I'm the king and I'm here. Right? And, in, and in Matthew, we have, in Matthew chapter 4, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among them. So, the, the kingdom of God is a really big topic. And you can't really understand Jesus or what's going on unless you understand the kingdom. So, three big questions. What is the kingdom? When does it show up? 
And what is supposed to be happening between now and then? What is the kingdom? The word kingdom of God shows up 120 times in the gospel. And if you read those, it's obvious we're not talking about the church. We're not talking about heaven. We're not ultimately talking about about God's rule and reign in the future exclusively. The kingdom um, the kingdom is a concept that is a little hard for those of us who didn't grow up with a king or a queen, right? We've had presidents, maybe we've had a prime minister, whatever, but but it's, we're, we're at a little bit of a disadvantage because we don't understand that. But um, in the end, the kingdom is the place where what the king wants done is done. Kingdom is the, the kingdom is the place where what the king, or in a sense what the queen, wants done is done. So the kingdom of God is the place where... Jesus as the king is fully informing everything that is happening. So, I think that the kingdom of God is a lot bigger than you probably expect it to be. So, as I was working throughout the sabbatical thinking about this, uh, it just, I was just struck. It was probably one of the biggest takeaways. Like, okay, what God is promising here is so much bigger than what we've talked about. Ephesians 1.9 talks about Paul's writing. And he says, God is going to unite everything under Jesus. And, uh, and Tim Keller had a comment that, that sort of got me down this track. And he said, look, when we look at the whole scope of this storyline, we see clearly that Christianity is not only about getting one's individual sins forgiven so that we can go to heaven. That's an important means of God's salvation, but not the final end or purpose of it. The purpose of Jesus' coming is to put the whole world to right, to renew and restore the creation, not to escape it, It's not just to bring personal forgiveness and peace, but also justice and shalom to the world. God created the body, the soul, and the resurrection of Jesus shows that he is going to redeem both body and soul. The work of the Spirit of God is not only to save souls, but also to care and cultivate the face of the earth, the material world. So what Jesus is doing is big. He he didn't just come to start a religion. right? He came to launch a revolution. He came to reclaim everything that is his, to reclaim and to restore everything that is his. One of the things that I did when I was in Oxford was I went, uh, did a couple C.S. Lewis groupy kinds of things. So I went to the college where he taught, and then I went to his home, the Kilns, and did a tour, and I talked with a C.S. Lewis scholar for about an hour and a half, and uh, so I was sort of really drinking deeply from C.S. Lewis, and I ran across this, um, and I thought it fit. He said, sometimes the impression preachers give is that they are simply mild-mannered people exhorting other mild-mannered people to be more mild-mannered. No, Jesus was a revolutionary, and he said he was going to reassert his rule and reign over everything. Jesus is going to bring radical changes. 
And, and we, we get a little bit of that from that Isaiah passage that, that was read setting up the service, right? About, it, it's poetic. It's hard to tell how literal we're supposed to take the lion and the lamb laying down, a kid being able to put his hand in the, in the viper's nest and not being hurt, that everything is... Pe- but what, what's being described is a perfect, peaceful world. No sin, no, break, no brokenness, right? And, and that is the promise. And that's the promise we get when we look in, in the last chapters of Revelation as well. So the kingdom of God is big and bigger and more holistic, I think, than any of us, than, than many of us are expecting. Number two, when is it coming? Well, there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is already here. Jesus is, or excuse me, God the Father is certainly king in heaven. We've got lots of Old Testament passages that tell us that. And when Jesus showed up, right, he was the king showing up to bring his kingdom. So John the Baptist says, get ready, repent, you're not ready. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's just about here and you are not ready. And then when Jesus shows up, he says in essence, the kingdom of God is here. I'm the king. What we see is the first time Jesus comes to bring his kingdom is that it's, it's in weakness, right? And he, he doesn't come like the king that everybody's expecting. He doesn't come like the Messiah that looks like King David, a military leader, a political leader, all this power. He comes in humility. He comes in weakness. He serves. He gives everything away. And, and he teaches about the values of his kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount, right? This is, this is what the world looks like when it's working the way it's supposed to work. It's a very upside-down kingdom. The, the last are first, and everyone's cared for, and blessed are those who are, you know, in the, in the kingdom. Blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are, I mean, it's, it's a radical description of a very different world. He brings that, but there's a sense in which we're waiting for it to come in all fullness, and that's what he's promised. He says in Matthew 24, right, that uh, this is what's going to happen in the future, but But between now and then, the gospel of the kingdom has to be preached to all the nations. And then it will come in its fullness. So the kingdom of God, if you go to to seminary, if you go to Trinity, then you read a book on the kingdom of God by George Eldon Ladd, and you hear the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. (laughs) It's here, but it's not here. So we just got a little glimpse of it. Which brings us to the third question. What is supposed to happen now to sort of facilitate that? Well, part of it is that it depends upon us to lean into the kingdom, to lean into the values, to start to live out what we have been called to live out, to take Jesus seriously in the things that he is calling us to. We're expected to embrace it now. The kingdom is not going to expand via ballot box or army. That's, that's almost always the method people want to use. But it's, it's not going to expand that way. It's going to expand as we yield more of our life to God and seek to live into the kingdom that is coming. And so I want to say, right now, you have that opportunity. We have that opportunity. And, and leaning into this means, we have, we have said for 40 years, leaning into this means two things. One, it means sharing the good news about Christ, right? So it's proclaiming the good news. It's reaching people. 
And the other is it's loving and caring for people. It's serving others. It's, it's renewing communities, right? That's how we have talked about it. It's proclaiming the good news and engaging in good works. And we have always said it's both. Now, we set them in that order, not because, not because the spiritual is more important than the physical. That's not what the, what the Bible teaches. But the eternal is more important than the temporal. And if you want to see more people love and serve others, one of, the, one of the ways to do that is to see more people follow Christ. Because in spite of all the things the church gets wrong, people who follow Christ do serve more and do give more to the poor. So you want to see more of, of the kind of kingdom stuff that you want to see, we, we need to see more people come to faith. So we say, look, we're, we are called, we are fundamentally called to both. Conservatives generally just want to focus on evangelism. Liberals just want to focus on social action. It's always hard for the church to say, we are absolutely called to do both of these things. And so we're, we're going to fight the effects of the fall anywhere we see them. <laughs> we, are going to, we are going to talk to people about Christ, and we are going to love and care for others, especially the poor. So let me leave you with, with six closing thoughts here. Summarize all of this. Number one, God has a plan. Okay? God has a plan. History is headed somewhere. It's not circular. <laughs> it's, there's a whole lot of cultures that still look for history to be circular. It's not. The Bible says that there was a beginning and we are heading towards an end. God has a plan. Number two, in the end, God wins. Good triumphs over evil. Right now, evil has been, in one sense, mortally wounded. But it continues, and it's dangerous, and we are warned that we are not to underestimate the, the forces of spiritual darkness that we're up against. And, and we still see death, and we still see evil, and we still see sickness. We are told that, uh, that one day that will be no more. So we are told now, since the resurrection, that death has been defeated by Christ, but it's not been destroyed. We're looking forward to the day that it's destroyed. There is no death. In the end, there is no death. There is no pain. There is no sickness. So right now, we're living in sort of a, a period where there's still a lot of battle going on. But God wins. Good triumphs over evil. So God has a plan. He's going to win. It was never in doubt. Number three, Jesus will return to reclaim and to restore all that is his. Jesus will return to reclaim and to restore all that is his. King Jesus will come to reclaim and to restore everything that's his. We don't know when. There's a lot of pushing and shoving and fighting and confusion about exactly when and what it's going to look like and where it's going to be. Like, where, is, is everything going to happen here on a, on a new earth? I mean, we're, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Is it going to be earth that's perfect? We don't know. And there's lots of debates and lots of discussion about this. What we know is that Jesus is going to return and reclaim everything that is his. And then his victory will be complete. Everything is damaged. And right now, everything is damaged. Right? Romans tells us all of creation groans under the weight of sin. Everything will be restored. Number four. There will be a huge party. 
So when we look in Revelation, we see it described as a party, it's a banquet, it's a wedding feast, it's a coronation. I mean, it's just a lot of different metaphors used to describe the celebration around Jesus when uh, everything comes to its final conclusion. Number five, we are given an opportunity to participate. We are encouraged to participate. Participation is expected. We will be rewarded for participating, but we're not needed. So God is going to do what God is going to do. He will win. It is decided. And we are invited to take part in that. But in Psalm 50, God says, and it's, it's, it's such a contrast to what, uh, what the Jews see with all the people around them, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, all of those, all of those people believe that, that there were gods that created them in order to serve the gods. So the, the, the thought was, okay, there's gods, and they created humans in order to build temples to them because the gods need places to live. And there are gods that created them to offer sacrifices because the gods need something to eat, right? All of this. And, and so the people are servants to the gods. And God says, no, you're not, you're not my servants. You're family. All right? I'm going to invite you into my family. But uh, don't think that I need you. Psalm 52 says, if I was hungry, do you think I'd come to you? Like, really? No. I don't. God doesn't need, but he loves and he invites. So we have the opportunity uh, to be involved. So many of you are participating in REACH. Thank you. Uh, again, don't grow weary of doing good. Uh, some of you have not you were not here when we started REACH, so you're not on board, or you were here, but you decided to sit it out. I want to encourage you, get involved. We want to fuel a movement that's going to reach people and renew communities. We have the opportunity to get involved in what God is going to do. God has a plan. He is going to win. There will be a party. It's a world that works. I think we're all ready for a world that works. We look forward to that world. It's called the kingdom of God. We can be a part of it now, and we're inviting you to be a part of it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, the promises and the assurance we find in your word that um, you have a plan. And it's a good plan, and it's a plan that loves and cares for people and it rights wrongs and it brings your perfect peace celebrates Jesus the King of Kings and Lord of Lords we look forward to the the culmination of that plan and uh, we pray that you would use even us to that end and we pray this in Christ's name Amen Amen would you please